innovation for most of agriculture will have a connotation of bright, shiny paint. It's electronics, it's got algorithms. I believe that farmers need to be in the centre of all the decisions from the very beginning. The innovation is, I've been doing it this way, there may be another way of doing it that's better. Hi, I'm Kirsten Diprose and this is Innovation Ag. I'm a farmer, former journalist and now a research fellow. This podcast is more than just interesting stories about agriculture. We're aiming to understand how to innovate in ag, whether you're on a farm, working in industry or helping to develop ag policy. Brought to you by the Victoria Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub. We're featuring guests right across Australia and even internationally. Yes, this is not the Innovation Ag podcast. This is actually Climate Conversations. Welcome. It's great to have you on board. I just thought I'd introduce you to this new ag podcast. Climate Conversations is assembled here in Shepparton in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. And I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Yes, I'm the fellow behind Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. You'll find a link to the Innovation Ag podcast in the show notes. Now we move to a story from Apocalypse Now. The headline for that story is The Dawn of Gas Stove Denialism. The story begins, if there's a lesson in last week's uproar over US consumer watchdog agency raising concerns about gas stoves, it's this. Clearly we should expect every possible segment of climate policy going forward to be subjected to an exhaustive, corrosive and unintentionally funny culture war. In fairness, Climate Watchers saw this writing on the wall in 2021 when the consortium of the world's largest gas exporting countries submitted a document to the United Nations calling any attempt to decrease reliance on fossil fuels a cancel culture on hydrocarbons. The gas industry is not really cancelled. Did you know that in 2019, former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison warned citizens that a push to incentivise electric vehicles would literally end the weekend due to their piddly weak electric motors? In 2021, a fabricated panic emerged about the Biden administration's limiting stake purchasing, leading to Representative Major Taylor Green labelling Biden the Hamburglar. Now we shift to a hometown newspaper, the Shepparton News, for a story that carries the headline, Yes, 2022 was warmer and wetter. The story begins. Data from the Bureau of Meteorology confirms what most people had suspected. 2022 was wetter, and warmer than average for Australia overall. National mean temperature was 0.50 degrees Celsius warmer than 1961-1990 average, making 2022 the equal 22nd warmest year on record since national temperature records began in 1910. National rainfall was 25% above the 1961-1990 annual average, making 2022 the ninth wettest year on record. And from the Canberra Times we can read, Floods drain $5 billion from national economy. The story begins, Floods and other natural disasters caused $5 billion in economic activity losses last year. 
impacting almost 7 out of 10 Australians. Treasurer Jim Chalmers will lead an inspection of rebuilding efforts in northern New South Wales on Friday as flooding continues to affect many parts of the country and he works on further support measures in the May budget. And now we shift to the conversation where we can read a story written by a research fellow from Monash University, Bell Cole. The story is headlined, The world's carbon price is a fraction of what we need because only a fifth of global emissions are priced. The story begins. At the end of last year, the world's average price to emit one tonne of greenhouse gases was around US $5.29, Australian $7.77. For pricing to work as we want, to wean us off fossil fuels, it needs to be around $75 by the end of the decade, according to the International Monetary Fund. Why is the price still so low? Because even in 2022, close to 80% of the world's emissions from land clearing, power plants, cars and industry are pumped into the atmosphere without any cost to the polluter. Carbon prices have long been favoured by economists and experts as a way to drive faster change. If you want to discourage something, the easiest way is to make it cost more. Pricing the three main greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous oxide, is an elegant and effective way to force polluters to find alternative ways of producing power or creating forms of transport. Carbon price refers to pricing a tonne of carbon dioxide equivalent COE, which covers all three gases. Next, we have an interview by the Guardian Environment Editor, Damien Carrington. The headline for the story is No Miracles Needed. Professor Mark Jacobson on how wind, sun and water can power the world. A subheadline says The influential academic says renewables alone can halt climate crisis. With technologies such as carbon capture, Expensive wastes of time. The story begins. Combustion is the problem. When you're continuing to burn something, that's not solving the problem, says Professor Mark Jacobson. The Stanford University academic has a compelling pitch. The world can rapidly get 100% of its energy from renewable sources. As the title of his new book says, No Miracles Needed. Wind, water and solar can provide plentiful and cheap power, he argues, ending the carbon emissions driving the climate crisis, slashing deadly air pollution and ensuring energy security. Carbon capture and storage, biofuels, new nuclear and other technology are expensive wastes of times. Bill Gates said we have to put a lot of money into miracle technologies, Jacobson says, but we don't. We have the technologies that we need. We have wind, solar, geothermal, hydro, electric cars. We have batteries, heat pumps, energy efficiency. We have 95% of the technologies right now that we need to solve the problem. The missing 5% is for long-distance aircraft and ships, he says, for which hydrogen-powered fuel cells can be developed. We go now to the newsroom, where we find a story with the headline, NZ's Fatally Flawed Climate Change Strategy. The sub-headline says, New Zealand urgently needs a sustainable carbon strategy focused on native forests to provide long-term carbon sequestration without the need to buy dubious offshore offsets. It begins, a recent article in The Guardian based on research in Devira, 
the world's largest global carbon offsetting scheme, reveals more than 90% of the tropical rainforest carbon credits are worthless, making no positive impact on climate change. In a subsequent article, The Guardian shows the fossil fuel company Shell was heavily involved in setting up Vera and its rules. Like New Zealand, Shell has placed carbon offsetting at the heart of its climate change strategy. Although the research indicates that many of the claims made about the efficiency of such schemes cannot be trusted. Let's go now to a story from Electric, written by Michelle Lewis. The story has the headline, This Solar Plus Storage Project Could Be a US Grid Game Changer. The story begins, A team at the US Department of Energy, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, has developed a utility-scale solar and storage project that can provide power to both AC and DC high-voltage lines and thus shore up grid stability. Here's how it works. Most of the US power grid uses alternating current, or AC, which currently switches the direction of the electron flow, but solar and battery storage uses direct current, or DC, that flows in a single direction. The US power grid includes a smaller number of high-voltage DC lines that are more efficient at delivering bulk power over long distances or to remote regions. The Guardian is always a great source of climate-related stories. And we have one here from Oliver Millman. It's headlined, Exxon's predictions about the climate crisis may have increased its legal peril. Millman's story begins. Further revelations of the extent of Exxon's historical knowledge of the unfolding climate crisis may have deepened the legal peril faced by the oil giant, with several US states suing the company for alleged deception, claiming their cases now have been strengthened. A research paper published last week found that from the 1970s onwards, Exxon climate scientists correctly and skillfully predicted climbing global temperatures rising by around 0.2 degrees centigrade a decade due to the burning of fossil fuels, often matching or surpassing the accuracy of projections by independent outside scientists. Now we have a story from Saloon by Jake Biddle. The story is headlined, How Vulnerable is Wall Street to Climate Change? The Fed Wants to Find Out. His story begins, Regulators have long known that climate change poses a threat to the US financial system. Major disasters like hurricanes and wildfires can wipe out buildings and crops, causing losses for banks that makes loans against these assets. Even efforts to take on climate change could cause problems. A rapid, widespread shift to renewable power could send shockwaves through financial markets as stocks and bonds tied to fossil fuel companies fall, hurting the bottom line of banks, insurers and other institutions tied to them. Now the Federal Reserve, which is tasked with overseeing the country's financial system, is trying to figure out just how vulnerable big banks are to this kind of upheaval. The Fed on Tuesday released new details about climate risk analysis. It is asking six major US banks to conduct, offering a peek into the worst-case climate events that financial regulators are worrying about. And from Yale Climate Connections, we have a story by Sue Ellen Campbell. The headline for that story is, Climate change means warmer winters, but not the end of snowstorms. Sue Ellen's story begins, It's easy to understand the links between global warming atmosphere and summertime heat waves, but the connections to winter weather are less simple. There's no doubt that overall our winters are warming, NPR has this overview of how balmier winter temperatures 
are affecting each US region. Is global warming bringing us more or less snow? Yes, both. It depends. And on ABC News, we find a story written by Alexander Lewis. The story is headlined, Why Community Batteries Could Be the Next Step in the Solar Power Revolution. His story begins, For three Brisbane summers, the sun has helped cool Sandra Engelhart's home. Solar panels power the retiree's air conditioner during the day and generates more electricity than she uses. But a household battery just saw the unused energy was out of Mrs. Engelhart's budget. It was quite expensive, really and we couldn't see that it was an economically viable proposition at the time, she said. This year, the federal government will begin rolling out 400 community batteries to store excess energy produced by households like Mrs. Engelhart's. Climate Change and Energy Minister Chris Bowen said the program would allow Australians with rooftop solar to root the benefits of storage without the cost of a household battery. And yes, you'll find links to all those stories mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet, it's fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with a friend. In fact, I urge you to share with your friends because it's about the climate crisis, an existential crisis, and we need to know all we can possibly know. Yes, until we talk again, please take care.